Good morning, FBC. Welcome to worship this morning here on this April morning, this last Sunday in April. I'm glad you have joined with us this morning. I, I hope that you have been blessed so far by, by all the things that have been going on this week, the things that we have been doing online on Facebook. So I, you know, I miss you guys. I wish we were here physically today, but we're not. But we are still going to worship God because it is a good day to be the church body. Amen? My question for you this morning is, have you ever had a life-changing experience? I mean, not something where you went, ooh, that was neat, but something where it literally changed your entire life. That you went from being one person one day to being another person the next day. How did you react to that? How did you react to that life-changing experience? You know, I... uh, I think back for us to the time that Shiloh was born. There's a long story there. There's so much that went on. And I could say so much about that. But I don't want to waste all of our time with that this morning. We had waited 10 years. And so when Shiloh was born, we went from this couple who had been married for 10 years overnight to a family of three. And Shiloh was born prematurely, so he was in the NICU for five weeks. So, so we didn't just gather him up and go home. Our lives were changed. We had to, for five weeks, go back and forth every day to, to the NICU. We had to go back and forth every day and sit there, uh, you know, just to, to pray to be able to hold him. Our lives were different. And when people asked us, we had lots of things to say. There were lots of things we had to do. So I would go to the NICU and spend the day there and then come home at night and do my church work to make sure everything was done properly and in the way that it needed to be done. And so this morning, uh, our passage is one of my favorite passages in all of Scripture, but it's also a passage that puzzles me. It's a passage that has always made me go, I, I, you know, I find it hard to believe in its context. Because we're still finishing up here. We're finishing up our, our look at the Easter stories. We're finishing up our look at, at what was going on for Easter. And so the disciples have seen Jesus risen. He has given them power. He has said all this stuff. And then our text here, uh, we pick up in John chapter 21. Uh, and we'll read the entire chapter. You know, last week we discussed the... Uh, the way that Jesus, in the midst of our lives and in the midst for the disciples, changed their life. And so that's why, for me, this very next chapter seems so out of place. Because here in John chapter 21, it says, Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas called Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. And they said, we'll go out with you. So they went out and got into the boat. But that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, It is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off, and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish. For they were not far from shore, about a hundred yards. 
When they landed, they saw a fire burning coals. There were fish on it and some bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you have just caught. Simon Peter climbed aboard and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153. But even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread, and gave it to them. And he did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? And he answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. I tell you the truth. When you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you were old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you want, did not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. This was the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and had said, Lord, who is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? And Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. Because of this, the rumor spread among the brothers that the disciple would not die. But Jesus did not say he would not die. He only said, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? This is the disciple who testifies to these things and who wrote them down. We know that his testimony is true. Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have room for the books that would be written. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you right now and we thank you and we praise you for your blessings. Father, we ask right now that you would take this time, Father. Use it for your glory. Father, use me as the best of the words that I speak be yours and yours alone. Father, we thank you and we praise you and we ask all these things in the name of your son, Jesus, and for his sake and all God's people said, amen. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a crazy scene for me because the disciples had just seen Jesus. This is the third time they've seen him since he was raised. They saw him the first night of the resurrection. They saw him a week later and now they've seen him again. And here Jesus is again. But they find themselves, rather than off doing the work that Jesus had just said, rather than sharing, rather than doing that, they were amongst themselves again on the Sea of Galilee, sitting there. And Peter said, yeah, I'm going to go fishing. That was his comfort zone. That's what he knew. That's what he used to make a living for his family, and Peter knew it. Peter knew this was it for him. And so he was out fishing again. As I read this passage, I began to think we cannot let our places or things of comfort keep us from being where Jesus wants us. You know, these disciples could have been doing something else. Now, I'm not saying that Jesus didn't want them right there in that moment. But I do know that sometimes we tend to go to where our places of comfort are. We tend to go to our comfort zone and stay there. And so often what God is calling us to do is uncomfortable. And so when we find things that are uncomfortable, it's so much easier to say, well, I'm going to stay in bed this morning. I don't want to go next door and talk to my neighbor. I'm not going to uh, go anywhere tonight. I'm going to watch this TV show. I'm not going to go help at the food kitchen or, or the, the food pantry. Or, or the homeless shelter. We find things 
that are our comfort zone that we hold on to, that we go to, rather than going where God wants us to go. The disciples had seen Jesus. They had been empowered by Jesus. They'd been given a mission by Jesus. And rather than doing those things, what are they doing? They're going fishing. They're going and doing the thing they've always done. Remember, Jesus had already told them when, they, when he first talked to them, come and I'll make you fishers of men. They've always been fishermen. But Jesus said he was going to transform what they do. But how are they back doing what they've always done? It's because it's their comfort zone. It's what makes them feel safe. And so they came back to this place, and we must war against this idea of allowing our comfort things, our comfort places, keep us from doing the things that Jesus wants us to do. But as they're out there fishing, can you imagine doing this thing that they love, even though it's hard work, and coming back empty-handed. They fished all night. Now, we're not talking a fishing pole. You know, when we talk about fishing here, what do we talk about? We got a pole, we throw the line out, we sit back, we relax, and we just kind of watch, right? That's fishing. But this is talking about taking these great big nets and throwing them out, trolling and pulling them back in the boat all night long. All night long, these men did that. And they came up empty-handed. Can you imagine the frustration? Can you imagine what these, these men were saying? Why did we even do this? Peter, this was a stupid idea. This was a waste of time. We spent all night doing this now. Now we're not going to be worth anything all day long today. We should have just stayed here and slept last night. And then they see somebody on the shore. They see a stranger. It says it's a stranger. They think it's a stranger. It's Jesus. But they think it's a stranger. And he says, hey, children, did you catch any fish? No, we didn't. And Jesus says, throw it on the right side and you'll catch some. It's amazing to me because their frustrations were at work in their lives. You know, worldly frustrations can keep us from seeing Jesus at work around us. Jesus was at work standing on the shore. Jesus was at work telling them what to do next. Jesus was at work the whole time. But they didn't realize it was Jesus until the miracle occurred, until the fish were in the net. It's amazing how often our frustrations get in the way of seeing Jesus at work in our lives. It's amazing how frustrations come in and tell us something that we didn't know. Our frustrations get in the way. Our pain gets in the way of the comfort that Jesus is bringing us. We don't see the comfort. Our weakness doesn't allow us to see the strength that Jesus is pulling from the situation. Our loneliness sometimes drowns out the presence of God that is there at work in our lives. Our failures sometimes drown out our success, His successes in our lives. You know, we have failures and, and we don't see His successes. I don't know how many times, and you can ask Carrie this, how many times I would um, <laughs> preach a sermon, and I'll walk out, and I'll come to lunch, and I'll be like, I laid the biggest goose egg on the altar today. That was the worst sermon I have ever preached. I need to resign. I need to go work at McDonald's. I need to do something else because it's all downhill from here. I've said that lots of times. And it never fails that when I really feel that way, someone calls or someone texts or someone emails, and they say, Man, Brother Troy, you were talking just to me. That's exactly what I needed to hear. That was something that I had never heard before. That's something that God was just working in my life every time. But my failure as, as, as a preacher 
does not, or my perceived failure, does not allow me to see his successes that he's pulling out. So often our frustrations keep us from seeing Jesus at work around us. The disciples, they knew there was a man on the beach. They knew he was saying to put the, put the net in, the other side. They didn't question it. They did it. But they didn't recognize it was Jesus until the fish were in the net. Jesus was already at work, but they were missing the work because their frustrations of working all night, their frustrations of not having to catch, those frustrations, I have a feeling, were coloring what they were seeing. But when they followed the stranger's directions and they had more fish, they knew it was Jesus. They knew what was going on. And so we have to be careful that our worldly frustrations don't keep us from seeing Jesus at work. But believers also, because you go on from here and what happens? Jesus says, hey, come on. Y'all come and sit by the fire. Y'all come and eat. Bring some of the fish. Let's have some breakfast. And they eat, and as they're finishing up, we get to that little story of Peter. And, and, and Jesus says to Peter, Peter, do you love me? He says it three times. But he says the first time, do you love me more than these? Believers must define our these. Now, you may think that's a strange point, Brother Troy, and it is. But we have to define our these because there are, there are theologians and commentary writers for the last few hundred years who have argued back and forth over who the these are. And that these can be three different types of things here. And so I think they speak each level into our lives. And so I think it's very generic for a reason. I think God is using these these as a way to speak into our lives. Peter, do you love me more than these? So there could be, do you love me more than these things? Peter has just gone fishing. He has just spent the whole night doing what Jesus called him out of and transformed his vocation from. He has just come and done that. And so Jesus may be saying, Peter, do you love me more than these things? <clears throat> do you love me more than this stuff? You know, it could be worldly, physical treasures that Jesus is asking us. We may have to define our these. Do we love Jesus more than these? Do we love Jesus more than our car, more than our house, more than our job, more than our, uh, our TVs, more than our computers, more than our cameras, more than our anything? Do we love Jesus more than everything else? Do we love Jesus more than the tools that make our living? Do we love Jesus more than the things that we've always known? Do we love Jesus more than our comfort zone? Do we love Jesus that much? Maybe are these in this situation, are those things of the world that keep us bogged down? Or these could also be, do you love me more than you love the disciples? Jesus, do you love me more than you love these guys? Now, the question here is, is Jesus the first love in your life? Is Jesus the number one in your life? Is he the first one, the first one who demands loyalty, who demands love? Is he the first one who gets it? It is so easy in our humanity to give away that point to someone else. It is so easy for me to want to put my children or my spouse as the number one place of love in my life. It's so easy for me to want to put other relationships... The question is, is Jesus more important than your relationships? Do you love Jesus more than you love your relationships? Do you love Jesus more than you love other people? You know, that's the question. Is Jesus the first love of your life? Or maybe, the, maybe these, this is the third and final one. Maybe it's, do you love me more than the disciples love me? 
Peter, do you love me more than these guys do? This was especially poignant for Peter, don't you think? Peter's coming off of his courtyard drama. He's coming off of his Lord's Supper demand. His Lord's Supper proclamation. Never, Jesus, is this going to happen to you. Never, Jesus, will I walk away from you. Never, Jesus, would I betray you. Jesus, I will follow you to the death. And Jesus tells him what? You're, before, the, before the cock crows, you'll deny me three times. That's what he tells him. So for this, it's especially poignant for Peter because he says, Peter, do you really love me more than all these guys do? Is that your love? You know, I would submit that the only righteous action or competition is in between believers on the spiritual realm is to out-love Jesus, is to out-love each other for Jesus, should I say. I love Jesus more than you do. <laughs> Why would I say that's a good competition? Because in the end, the result brings righteousness. Because if we are competing to love Jesus more, that love will overflow to those around us and we will... We will complete the greatest commandments to love God with everything we have and to love our neighbor as ourselves. That's just the truth. And so he could be saying, Peter, do you really love me more than these guys love me? Are you that devoted to me? Are you sure that you can follow me? Believers must define our these. And then he says, Peter, take a walk with me. He's been sitting around the fire talking to Peter. And he takes him to this, this spot. When Peter got off the boat, he had to have uh, had a pit in his stomach. Because there's a charcoal fire. That's, that's what the text says, charcoal fire. That, that phrasing is only used one other time in all of Scripture. It's a charcoal fire. It's used there in the courtyard scene where they are around a charcoal fire and they're warming themselves and Peter denies Jesus. It's around the same fire. Jesus is setting up this picture. He is setting up this, um, this scene for Peter. And then he asks him the three questions the three times, right? He says, oh, Peter, do you love me more than these? Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? And on the third time, Peter's getting upset. He's not getting upset really for any other reason but then the fact that he has been brought back to a place that he didn't want to go and he realizes what Jesus is doing because the truth is, to find our restoration, we must revisit the place of our failure. To, to find the place where we can be restored, we have to visit the place of our failure. There always has to be repentance. We always have to see our sin and our failure for what it is. We can't ever be restored to the place that we need to be. We cannot be put in a place of, of ministry and, and capacity of leadership or anything like that without first recognizing our flaws and our failures and laying them bare before God. In order for Peter to be made into the leader of the apostles that he is being made into, he had to go back to the place of his failure. And so there he sits around the charcoal fire. There he sits as Jesus asks him three times, do you love me? Three times before he said, I don't even know the man. And now three times Jesus says, do you really love me, Peter? Do you really love me? Do you really love me? And Peter's upset and he is, he is beside himself. 
Because he knows that he failed before and he knows this scene is that same scene and this is the time that he can make it right. You know, some people want to, to make a great sermon out of the different types of love that's used here. And that's fine. The truth, though, is the, really, the point is that Peter is taken back to a place where he failed so that he can be restored. We cannot have restoration. We cannot have reclamation. We cannot be put back where we need to be without first seeing our failure for what it is and asking Jesus to cleanse us of it. That's where Peter is right now. He is reliving his worst nightmare, his worst failure. He's reliving it, and he understands that something is happening. Feed my sheep. Peter, I haven't given up on you. Feed my lambs. Peter, I'm still here waiting. Tend to my sheep. Your job didn't stop. Your place hasn't finished. You are where you need to be. You are doing what you need to do. You are who you need to be. You just need to, in this moment, realize that your failure is in the past. It's forgiven. It's done. Because you now are grieved over the mistake that you made. We must revisit the place of our failure to find restoration. You know, we have to revisit our failures and our sins to find salvation, right? If you can't say you're sorry... I sometimes question whether or not you can know Jesus. Because if you can't say you're sorry, you can never admit you're wrong. And if you can never admit you're wrong, there is something amiss in who you are. Because in order to accept salvation, we have to say that we're wrong and say we need a Savior. The same thing happens to believers. We can be believers. We can know Jesus. We can have a relationship with Him. But we can do things that are great failures. We can fall. We can falter. We can find ourselves in a very bad situation. And guess what happens? Jesus will restore us. But in order to find that restoration, in order to be put back in that place of leadership, in order to be put back in that place of integrity, we have to be willing to admit our wrongdoing. We have to be willing to revisit the place of our failure. I saw a situation once where there were two people in a church who were desperately wanting to be in places of service and leadership. They had both made mistakes in their lives. They had both done things that were wrong. They had both found themselves to be lacking or people had found them to be lacking. And when it came time to decide on leadership roles, service roles, what happened was one stood in front of the church and poured their heart out that they were a sinner saved by grace and the church loved on them and put them in a place of service. The other refused to even admit there was wrongdoing and they were never given that place of service. In order to be restored and be put to where we want to be, we must revisit our failure. But then as he's walking along and he says, Peter, you know, I love you. You still have a ministry. Just serve me. Just follow me. Just do the things that I've called you to do. And still, Peter's kind of going, well, Jesus, looks over his shoulder, and there's a disciple whom Jesus loved, and he said, what about him? And Jesus said, what does it matter? The truth is, the ministry Jesus has for someone else has no bearing on his ministry for me. There's no bearing there. Peter wanted to know, 
What about him? Jesus just told Peter how he was going to die. Basically told him he was going to be crucified. That's what he walked him through there. He was going to die a martyr's death. Well, what about him, Jesus? And Jesus says, if I want him to live until I come back, what's it to you? You follow me. You do what I've called you to do. My ministry, the ministry that Jesus has for me, is not dependent on what the ministry that somebody else is given. We are given the ministry here in First Baptist Church of Lipan. That is our ministry. You know, we could get jealous and say, man, I, w- I, wish I, was like, I wish I was like First Baptist Dallas. I wish I was like, you know, Cornerstone. I wish I was like some other big mega church somewhere. But that's not our ministry. And those ministries will never reach out to the people that we can reach in this town. Our ministry is our ministry, and that's what God has called us to. And so we can't allow the jealousy and the bitterness that can arise between comparing ourselves to overtake us. You know, that's what Peter was in danger of doing. Well, Jesus, but what about him? Jesus said, don't think about him. It doesn't matter him. Matters what you do. You follow me. Follow me. Our ministry and the things that God has for us, they should not be dependent on anybody else's ministry because God gives each their ministry. You know, this morning, you may have been in any number of places in this sermon. Maybe, maybe you have been dwelling in your comfort zone. Maybe God has been saying, step out, step out, step out, and you've been going back to the things that you know. It's time to step out. Maybe this morning, you have been frustrated by the things of this world. It's easy to do right now, is it not? You've been frustrated by the things of this world, and you're not seeing Jesus at work around you. Open your eyes, because he's always at work. Maybe this morning, you've been dealing with your these. Maybe it's the physical things you're holding on to. Maybe it's the relationships that are getting in the way of you and Jesus. Maybe you're just not loving Jesus as much as you should. Now's the time to put that relationship right. Maybe this morning you are in need of restoration. Maybe you need to start over. Maybe you need something new. Now's the time to say, okay, Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I know I failed. Show it to me and show me where my sin is and wash me clean. But maybe today you've been comparing your ministry to somebody else's. Well, they can sing. Well, they can preach. Well, they can play an instrument. Well, they can teach Sunday school. Well, they're good with this. They're good with that. They're an artist. They, they can serve in the food pantry. And there's all these things that we talk about. Quit comparing yourself to someone else and find out the ministry God has for you because he has a ministry for you that you're called for. But maybe this morning you've never known Jesus. You've never known this one who can transform your life. You've never known this one who can take you from being a fisherman to a fisher of men. Now's the time to know him. But wherever you're at today, whatever your need, give it to him. Would you pray with me? Father God, we come to you right now and we thank you and we praise you for your blessings. Father, I pray if there's ever any need here today, that you would make it known, that you would work in their lives, Father, that you would radically change us. Father, if there's anyone here who doesn't know you, I pray that they would pray after me right now. Father, I am a sinner. I have failed. And I need to visit the place of my failure. Father, I know that and believe that Jesus came to this earth, lived a sinless life, and died for my sins. Father, I confess him as Lord. Jesus, come into my heart and make me yours. Father, we thank you and we praise you. And we ask all these things in the name of your son, Jesus, and for his sake. Amen. You know, guys, it's still awkward. I don't know how to do an invitation over, over, the, over the camera. If you made a decision for Jesus, please contact me. I want to walk through some next steps with you.
That's all I really have this morning, guys. I love you. I can't wait to see you again. Until next time, love each other deeply from the heart. Be blessed this week.